You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. The title of our sermon series is Big Time Faith, Wrestling with Life. It's taken from the life of Jacob in the book of Genesis. By the way, a little bit of trivia. Did you read in yesterday's Seattle Times on page 2 that according to the Social Security Agency, for the last 11 years, the the top baby name for boys has been Jacob. Who would have thought? 11 years running, Jacob is the top baby name for boys. Last year for girls, it was Isabella. Lots of uh, names like Bella come out of that one. Today we're going to look at Three wrestling matches. The first wrestling match is between a man and his uncle as they battle it out over just how much true love costs. The second wrestling match is between two sisters in a sibling rivalry as they wrestle for the affections of one man in their life. It's a bizarre love triangle between Rachel and Leah. And the third wrestling match will be found in a simple parable. Then I'll make a few reflections about what Jesus would say about those wrestling matches. Well, here's the little parable. I made it up with a little help from one of Earl Palmer's stories. It's about wrestling. Let's imagine that our beloved principal organist, Joanne Strimler, and I are at an elegant Wedding reception. There is a huge, shimmering, ice-wan sculpture floating in some, some water. Beautiful ice sculpture. There are many trays of fresh shrimp, smoked salmon, crab cakes, and three chocolate fountains in which you could dip strawberries. Joanne and I are polite. We let people proceed in the line in front of us. We're having a fun conversation until we realize that at the dessert table, we see that there is only one remaining piece of Siberian peach pie. She wants it. I want it. I say, Joanne, let's arm wrestle for it. She says, you're on. (laughs) Elbows on the table, hands in a grip. Boom, she beats me. I protest and say, come on, Joanne, I want that last piece of Siberian peach pie. How about two out of three? She says, you're on. Elbows on the table, hands in a grip. Boom, she beats me again. Now, it's not about the pie. It's about my pride. (laughs) So I say, one more time, winner take all. She says, you're on. Elbows on the table, hands in a grip. And this time, I use my other hand and I pin her. Now, you can bet your pension that Joanne Stremmel would say, that's not fair, you cheated, it's my pie. And I would have to say, you're right. I cheated, I was wrong. And hopefully, Joanne would say, okay, I'll split it with you. (laughs) That's how a good story would turn out. Well, here's a reality check. The Bible says if you cheat, you reap what you sow. 
Eventually, we don't get away with it. A few weeks ago, I was curious about the origin of the phrase labor of love. So I googled, where did labor of love come from? And the first entry entry that comes up says Genesis 29. That's our text for today. Jacob had to labor for his love. Fourteen years, as a matter of fact. In chapters 29 and 30, we read the story of how Jacob gets married, how his family ends up with 12 sons, one daughter, two wives, and four mothers. It's a Mother's Day story. (laughs) But this story has so many twists and turns in it that it's overqualified as a TV soap opera. How do you end up with four mothers? My daughter, Heather, has a story with some unique twists and turns in it, including the Mother's Day when she said to my wife, Liz, Liz, I love you. Thank you for being my third dad's second wife and my fourth mother. How did that happen? I'll tell you quickly, and then we'll look at Jacob's story, because they relate. This is how our story goes. I was born and raised in California, and when I was 16, two things in Seattle made it really cool. The Seattle World's Fair and my Uncle Jim. My Uncle Jim was a research physicist. He worked for Boeing. He told me that he worked in a think tank. He would sit around a table with a bunch of guys and just talk and say things like, someday we'll make airplanes for Boeing out of plastic, composites we haven't even dreamed of yet. And I would say, right. Well, I was intrigued. I said, Uncle Jim, I'd like to see how you work. He said, come on up. I got on a Greyhound bus from Fresno, California, ended up in Seattle, and he took me home. We spent a week together. I followed him around. And sure enough, he would sit at a table and just talk with a bunch of guys. I was inspired. Well, my Uncle Jim was not only a great worker for Boeing, and a scientist, he was also a great dad. My Uncle Jim and my Aunt Virginia had one daughter and then seven boys. And my aunt said to Jim, Jim, I'd like to have another girl. And my Uncle Jim said something like, the odds aren't in our favor. <laughs> so he said, let's adopt a girl. And they did. They adopted a girl who was born at the University of Washington Medical Center by a college student, and they named her Heather. A few days, few months, just four months after the adoption, sadly, my uncle was killed when both cars slid on black ice and they collided in a head-on car crash. So my aunt raises the kids. Ten years later, my uh, Heather is realizing, along with the rest of the kids, that my Aunt Virginia is dying of cancer. She's just turning 11. So I went to Virginia and I said, I'd love to have Heather come live with us and be my daughter. And Virginia said, yes, along with her sister and seven brothers. Fast forward. I went through a divorce and later fell in love with a deacon named Liz. We discovered that there were five people praying that we would meet, fall in love, and get married. We did. 
Fast forward to that Mother's Day when Heather says to Liz, Liz, I love you. Thank you for being my third dad, second wife, and my fourth mom. That makes sense. And then Heather said to me, Dad, I would love to find out who my real birth mother is. And I said, I'd like to find out that too. Let's pray about it. Heather, what do you know about her? Not much, Dad. It was a closed adoption. All I've learned from my brothers is that I was born at the University of Washington Medical Center and that my mother's first name was Mavis and that she was born in Paisley, Scotland. Fast forward. Heather is sitting in a women's Bible study, a community Bible group, for the first time. And the get acquainted question is, if you could have your dream vacation and go anywhere in the world, where would you go and why? And the woman across from Heather said, I would go to Paisley, Scotland, because that's where my husband was born. Comes around to Heather's turn and she says, hey, I would go to Paisley, Scotland, too, because all I know about my birth mother is that she was born in Paisley, Scotland. Does your husband have a brother named Mavis? And the woman says, yes. And Heather's eyes light up. And the woman's eyes light up. And Heather says, let's talk. (laughs) They talk. And Heather says, will you go home and ask your husband to talk to his sister and maybe give me a call and see if it's a possibility? She says, yes. Heather goes home, gets a phone call. It's from Mavis. They put two and two together and they soon discover, you're my daughter. You're my mother. And they're talking on the phone. They talk and talk and talk all sorts of things, even things like, I love garage sales. I do, too. Finally, Heather says, well, Mom, where are you calling from? Scotland? And Mavis gives Heather her address, two blocks down the street. (laughs) All they have to do is hang up the phone, walk down the sidewalk, and hug. They've been to the same garage sales together. That's how you can end up saying to your mom, thanks for being my third dad's second wife and my fourth mom. Well, in our story, we're going to see four moms, but it doesn't quite go like that. Over the years, I've learned how to detect certain clues that indicate the high hope and high risk factors of couples engaged to be married. There are signs that predict whether the wedding and the marriage will have abnormally high levels of adventure and stress. For example, if the bride's father is the groom's boss, there's a higher risk of conflict (laughs) in the wedding. If the bride's father is the groom's boss, can you imagine? Secondly, if the bride's father is the groom's landlord, there's potential for stress. Third, if the bride's father is the groom's mother's brother, the possibilities of adventure grow even higher. That gives new meaning to the term kissing cousins. Fourth, if there is an expectation that prenuptials must be agreed to and that a large dowry is necessary to determine the success of the marriage, there will be wrestling in the engagement and in the marriage. Fifth, if the bride's older sister wants desperately to get married first, 
And the bride's father is willing to resort to any scheme imaginable in order to get the older sister married first. The potential for adventure is off the charts. Finally, if the groom is on the run from his older brother who wants to kill him because he lost his inheritance by the groom's cheating him out of it, the wedding day could be full of all sorts of adventure. Now, if all six of those stress factors came in one wedding, it would be a recipe for disaster. And that is what our text is all about today. All of those stress factors come together in one couple's wedding. Now, today, some wedding customs are really cool, like wearing a wedding ring. That shows that you're married. Some other wedding customs are strange. For example, when the bride tosses her bouquet to a group of single women and the one who catches it is the one to be married next. Or the groom taking the bride's garter and throwing it to a group of single guys and the guy who catches it is the one to be married next. Well, if you think that's strange, you'll find something even stranger in Laban's story. Our text is filled with some signs of true love and hope and glimmers of faith in God. And there are some totally bizarre twists and turns. Finally, before I read from the text, I want to review both the strengths and weaknesses of the lives of the four leading characters. First of all, there's Jacob, Rachel, Leah, and Laban. Let's start with their strengths. Laban. Laban, the father of the bride, he's hospitable. Early on, he welcomes Jacob into his house and gives him a job. He's willing to negotiate with Jacob a fair and just salary for his work. And Jacob, the groom, he's patient. He's willing to wait for seven years before he gets married. Jacob truly loves Rachel, so much so that those seven years seem like a few days. Rachel, she's hardworking. She has a job. She's tending her father's sheep. She could be trusted to do her job and hold responsibility. She's also graceful and beautiful. An older sister, Leah, she takes her role as a wife and a mother very seriously. She names her children in response to God's blessings. After giving birth, she praises the Lord. Lots of strengths. But there are some weaknesses. Laban, the father of the bride, is deceptive. He withholds telling Jacob about his custom that the older daughter must be married before the younger daughter. And Laban springs that bit of news on Jacob after he secretly substitutes his older daughter, Leah, for his younger daughter, Rachel, on Jacob's wedding night. Apparently, he does not lift the veil. Now, what about Jacob's weaknesses? He does not recognize that fact that on his wedding night, he's sleeping with the wrong woman. So could it be that Jacob has some perception problems? Or could it be that he drank too much at the wedding party? We don't know. The bottom line is he is cheated, tricked big time. Maybe Jacob's earlier deceptive maneuver in tricking his father for his older brother Esau's inheritance comes back to haunt him. It's that biblical 
principle. You reap what you sow. And Leah's weakness, she goes along with her father's trick. She complies with the lies. Then she complains for being unloved. The text says that Rachel envied her sister for having so many children. Rachel has none. And then she blames her predicament on Jacob, saying, Give me children or I'll die. One of Rachel's weaknesses is when she gets jealous, she gets angry. In desperation, Rachel gives her maid to Jacob as a surrogate mother and claims a victory over Leah. And her famous line is, With many wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed. Then Leah, not to be outdone, presents her maid of honor to Jacob as a surrogate mother. She's already had four children, but she wants to compete with Rachel. Can you believe it? Let's turn to page 22, chapter 29 of Genesis, and I'll read the opening sentences and make some comments. Chapter 29 of Genesis, page 22 of the Pew Bibles. This is the word of the Lord. It has lessons for us today. Then Jacob went on his journey. He's running from his brother who wants to kill him and came to the land of the people of the east. And verse two, as he looked, he saw a well in the field and three flocks of sheep lying there beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. Remember that detail, large. It's a four-man rock. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well. I'm guessing that it takes a number of shepherds to roll that large stone. And they would water the sheep and put the stone back in its place on the mouth of the well. And Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? And they said, We're from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we do. He said to them, is it well with him? Yes, they replied. And here is his daughter, Rachel, coming with the sheep. And he said, look, it's still broad daylight. It's not time for the animals to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. Why is Jacob so bossy? But they said to him, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. And while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. Now, when Jacob saw Rachel, his cousin, the daughter of his uncle, mother's brother Laban, and the sheep of his mother's brother Laban, Jacob went and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of his mother's brother Laban. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Why the tears? Maybe he reflects on how some of his family met because of a well. Maybe he's fallen in love. Verse 12. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman, and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. Verse 13. When Laban heard the news about his sister's son, Jacob, he ran to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. 
And Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and flesh, strong and impulsive and a little bossy like I am. And he, Jacob, stayed with him for a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you not therefore serve me, serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were lovely, and Rachel was graceful and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel, her hand in marriage. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than that I give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. And the plot thickens. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may consummate my marriage with her. For my time has completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he consummated his marriage with her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her maid. And when morning came, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this that you've done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, Hey, this is not done in our country. Giving the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of your honeymoon for this one, and we'll give you the other also in return for serving me for another seven years. And Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel, or gave his daughter Rachel as a wife. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her maid. So Jacob consummated her marriage, his marriage with Rachel also. And he loved Rachel, but more than Leah. And he served Laban for another seven years. Now that's the beginning of the wrestling match between Jacob And Laban, imagine your father-in-law pulling that trick on you. Now Leah and Rachel begin to wrestle. Leah gives birth to four sons, but she feels unloved. And in verse 1 of chapter 30, we read, When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob became very angry with Rachel and said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then Rachel said, Here is my maid, Bilhah. Rachel gives her maid to Jacob as a surrogate mother, hoping that Bilhah will conceive so that Rachel can adopt the baby as her home and somehow claim a victory over Leah, as the world turns. Rachel's maid, verse 7, conceived later and bore Jacob his second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed. So she named that son Naphtali, which means wrestle and fight. Verse 8. 
fast forward. It ends up with 12 sons, two wives, and four mothers, and nobody is happy. Fast forward. If Jacob, Leah, Rachel, and Laban came into my office and told me their story, that they were all angry with each other and they wanted my help, what would I do? I would ask myself, what would Jesus do? Now I would pray like crazy, Lord, give me wisdom. Then I would pray that there would be some healing. Then I would ask them some questions. I, then I would listen. And I would look into their eyes as I listened. And I'd listen some more. And I would empathize with their emotions. There are more emotional words in these two chapters than any other two in the Bible. And then I would remember that Jesus would tell stories. So I would think of the Joanne Strimler story and talk about wrestling and cheating. And then I would tell the story of Jesus, about how his friend Judas cheated on him. And that what happened next was that Jesus died on a cross, and I'd tell them why. And then I would say, Leah, I hear you saying that all you want from Jacob is his love. You want Jacob to fill a hole in your heart that only God can fill. And at the same time, you want to deal with the guilt that you still feel for going along with a scheme that you and your dad created by pretending to be your sister on Jacob's wedding night. Could it be that God and Jacob want to hear you admit that you cheated? Laban, I hear you saying that you are still wrestling with the guilt of having deceived Jacob for making him work for 14 years to marry his beloved Rachel, your precious daughter. Could it be that God wants you to hear that you cheated? I hear you saying that you still can't get over how angry you are at Rachel for blaming you for not having children and for practically threatening suicide and then bringing her maid to you. Jacob, could it be that God wants to hear you admit that you cheated your brother a long time ago and yourself? Rachel, dear Rachel, you're beautiful. But I hear you saying that you're tired of wrestling with your sister and with Jacob, your husband, and that you've lost your dignity and your inner beauty and desperately want them back, and that you are at a loss to justify why you took your maid to Jacob. Could it be that I hear you saying that you want to admit to yourself and to God that you cheated yourself? Then I would talk briefly about the joy and pain that we all have, whether it's being single, married, having children or not. And I would say that our hope is in Jesus Christ. Then I would ask if they would be willing to pray, thanking God for his faithfulness and admitting their need for his love and that his love alone could fill this little God-shaped vacuum in each of their hearts. And I would assure them of God's saving grace in Jesus. And then I would say that it's going to take time to get beyond anger. And that growth takes time. And healing takes time. And I would tell Jacob, Rachel, Leah, and Laban that 
there are some dear friends who are called Stephen ministers. And one will walk with each of you in the weeks and months ahead. And I'd say, you should get in a small group. They think they have to wrestle for love. Both Rachel and Leah long to be loved. We all do. But at the core of our hearts, there's a need for love that's in a place that a spouse can't fill, number of children can't fill it, what we drive can't fill it, where we go can't fill it, that little core in our hearts, could, that place can only be filled with God's love. We each have a story with ups and downs, twists and turns. And here are the three points. Number one, the principle of the harvest is that we reap what we sow. Number two, the second key point is the principle of God's synergy. The total is greater than the sum of the parts. The outcome of our story is better because God is in it. To accomplish God's divine will, he relies on imperfect people because that's all he has. He loves us. Each of us has strengths and weaknesses, and we're part of something that's far bigger than ourselves. The fact that God uses us does not mean that he condones our weaknesses, but he'll just use us in spite of them, and he'll bring redemption to them. Finally, there's the principle of God's gift of satisfaction. We can't get it anywhere else. We can have a God-shaped vacuum in the very core of our hearts that can only be filled by his presence. This is how Jesus said it. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty, but everyone who drinks of the water that I give will never thirst again. I'll fill that spot. You'll never be thirsty. Finally, Jesus said it this way. Come unto me, all ye who labor, Jacob, Laban, Rachel, Leah, and I will give you rest. You can move from wrestling to rest. Let's pray together. Our loving God, we admit that we wrestle. We wrestle and wrestle some more. The pressure to compete, compare, and keep up is released, though, when we welcome Christ into that God-shaped vacuum in our hearts. Lord, when we grab power, position, and possessions, our hands are full, but our hearts are empty. But when we confess our conspiracies, we know that Christ can reconcile our never-ending effort at competing and keeping score with his call to come clean. Lord, we are yours not because of who we are, but because of what you have done. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.